This is Isaac Morehouse. Welcome to the podcast where we discuss education, entrepreneurship, big ideas, how to put them into practice in the real world, and above all, how to live free. Today, I am excited to have Dave Lucas on the show. Dave is the host of the Misfit Entrepreneur podcast, um, and he is an entrepreneur himself, uh, had started a couple different businesses, built uh, one in particular, Grasp Technologies, into a very successful company. And after many years of an entrepreneurial journey, um, decided that all these people he'd met, all these different business owners, they all had something a little weird, a little off about them, a misfit side, as he calls it. And he wanted to begin to interview these kind of people and document this and make available some of the insights and, and sort of off the beaten path habits and things that uh, successful entrepreneurs employ so that any young person or, or new entrepreneur can kind of look to that and get some inspiration, get some ideas. So Dave, really glad to have you here. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Isaac. It's a pleasure to be here with you and, and with your audience as well. Thanks uh, for all of you that are uh, listening in today. So first, I got to say, go check out The Misfit Entrepreneur. It's a really cool podcast. Um, I've really enjoyed listening to it in the last several months since I found it. Let's let's start with your story. I was reading your bio on the website and some really great stuff in there. Um, but you have basically always been interested in entrepreneurship from a very young age. Is that right? Yeah, I'd like to say that I started my first business when I was five. <laughs> Lemonade stand? Uh, actually, no. It's actually a really good story if you uh, don't mind me telling oh, it for yeah, a second. Oh, yeah, by all means. So when I was five years old, I got this idea to um, have my little red wagon and everything, got this idea to sell American flags to our neighbors. So I spent all this time with construction paper making American flags and everything and uh, started going up and down the street, you know, for five cents, 10 cents selling American flags and, you know, 100 percent close rate. Right. I mean, this little 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 guy comes up to the door, you know, I'm selling American flags, you know, that sort of thing. So everybody's like, all right, five cents, 10 cents. So I'm just I, I, I'm killing it. Right. So I'm on I'm on high and I get to the last house on the block which is kind of the the darker house the shades are always closed you <laughs> don't see the people a lot one. yeah <laughs> so I uh I knock on the door and nice old lady or older lady opens the door and I do my little pitch and she stands there for a second in total silence and then says no thank you honey we're Canadian and slams the door in my face <laughs> So that was my first uh, stab at rejection and everything, but uh, but we overcame it. So I went home and made a Canadian flag, took it back to her, and sold it to her. So that was my early early entrepreneurship. But uh, I've always I've always kind of had that bug, and also grew up in a family that had that. Uh, uh, my mother's side of the family were all entrepreneurs from the music industry, and uh, my grandfather in the restaurant business and other things. And then uh, even my dad's side of the family had some of that too. My dad's side of the family grew up very, very poor. Um, and so they had to be entrepreneurs. They would do everything from bake and sell cookies on the, the street to make ends meet to, you know, everything you can possibly think of. My grandmother peddled Avon, you know, for uh, for a living. And my dad used to tag along with her and help her sell Avon at, at like seven years old. So kind of always had kind of that influence and that bug. But um, it just got fostered more and more as I, I grew older. So many so many, so many great lessons in your first uh, entrepreneurship story. I mean, you know, who who won't who won't say yes to an American flag and a small child? Well, a Canadian. So then you go and you make a Canadian flag for them. You you find out what the consumers are looking for. Um, I also love that you said you were always around entrepreneurship, and I think that's something 
And this is why I love the proliferation of podcasts like your own and just the accessibility of stories and examples. And I don't think it's so much that someone who may want to be an entrepreneur is considering it is going to get a specific playbook from some other entrepreneur, but it's more that the more examples you have of entrepreneurs around you, the more you can believe that that's a normal path that's possible for you. And growing up, having seen that around you, I'm sure it didn't seem like some big far off thing that was out of reach. You know, the interesting thing is that and I don't think people realize this is a realization that I've come to as I've gotten older is that entrepreneurship is an innate ability in all of us. It's one of those things that it, we're all kind of born with. It's just kind of a human nature thing, our ability to to go after and strive for what we want, innovate and figure it out. Now, it doesn't have to mean business. Entrepreneurship, I, I use as a broad term because you can use the skill sets and the processes or thought processes of entrepreneurship, which is, you know, building and creating what you vision and see for a multitude of things. And so I think, you know, for, for most people, they don't think of it that way, but in reality that that's really true. It's, it's almost, it's, it's like selling as well too. I think selling is one of the most innate abilities that people have. Mm. Um, we're always selling ourselves from the time we're born. When a baby cries for milk, it's selling itself. Uh, when, you know, you are, uh, trying to get that date with, uh, you know, the guy, gal or whatever, you know, you're selling yourself, you know, when you are, when you're writing a paper to a professor in college, you're selling yourself and your ideas, right? So, um, you know, that's some of the most innate abilities we have. And I think, you know, in the terms of selling, I think in a lot of ways it gets a negative connotation and stuff. And, you know, you've got those stereotypes with it, but in reality, it's one of the things that we should embrace because, you know, it, it in all our endeavors, in some way, we're selling ourselves and we're being entrepreneurs. It's just what level that we're, we're playing at. So I wonder if this has been true for you. I know it has for me. You, I know you have a daughter, um, an adopted daughter that I know is, is, has been hugely inspirational. And one of the reasons that you've started, you know, documenting some of this stuff, have you found that having kids, you start to make these observations. They're so clear, like the innate entrepreneurial um, ability and the innate sales ability of humans. Do you find that kids help you see that even more clearly? I think it does. I think it gives you perspective. Anybody who's a, 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 a father or mother, you know, realizes a, a number of things once you have a child. The first thing is it, it, whether you're you know adopt like like we did or have a kid from you know, just natural, you know, childbirth and everything, you go from one day not being a parent to the next day being a parent. And that's a very significant shift in realities because now it's just not about you or your significant other anymore. Now you have this, this, this little amazing human being that you're responsible for, but at the same time also preparing for the world. And that's, that's, exciting, but it's a challenge, right? The world's changing all the time, especially now, uh, being in the technology space. It's amazing. What's, what's, you know, true today is obsolete tomorrow almost. So the rapid pace of change that kids nowadays are coming into and stuff and trying to keep up with that as a parent and everything is, is definitely, um, requires entrepreneurship in some ways. And it's amazing to see these kids. Uh, when we adopted our, our daughter, she was 18 months. We adopted her from China. She, she knew nothing of English, uh, in fact, she wasn't even walking yet. She had no teeth yet. 
And it was amazing within, before we left China, within a, just a couple weeks of giving her nutrition and nourishment and regular feeding and everything, how her teeth were coming in. I had her walking, you know, in the hallway of the hotel up and down, up and down to me. And it was just amazing how fast the, you know, things come along. And it's amazing how fast she learned to swipe on an iPhone, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and everything else. So I think that's the cool thing about kids is they're really adaptive. They soak everything in. And that's another thing that you, you realize as a parent too. And it's, it's almost being like being, it's the same as being a leader. Um, whether it's a leader of a few or many is that you're always being watched and you're always being in ways duplicated. Right. So, um, you have to be very careful and it makes you keenly aware of that. It makes you a better leader, I think, uh, because you have to be keenly aware of that the actions you're doing, the things you say, the way you handle things are always being uh, monitored and watched by, you know, these children and, and your employees and, and people that you work with as a leader. So you have to always be on your game, essentially. And I think that's a good thing. You know, I think that that really, you know, helps you be more successful in your life and everything else um, if you look at it that way. And it should it should excite you. And that's that's the most one of the most coolest things about being a parent is to watch your kid, you know, learn something that you really want them to learn, have a breakthrough with it and everything else. So going back to the question, though, you know, really, yes, it, it, the entrepreneurship. I mean, every kid is an entrepreneur. I, it, you know, it's it, I hate to say it this way. And I well, I don't hate to say it. Our school system, I think, beats that out of them a lot. And I know that's something that's near and dear to you. Um, and it. it it it's amazing to watch. My daughter's not in school yet, so it's amazing to watch how uh, industrious she is and how she goes and creates things. And yeah, sometimes she makes a mess and does all kinds of stuff and everything else. But it's amazing to see that little mind just figure something out that she wants to do, you know. Um, and the thing that I am really going to try to do as she grows older is to keep that and make sure that we continue to foster that in her um, as we ha we have to you know work in that area of schooling and stuff and figure that out with her. And so we're, we're still debating that, you know, do we homeschool? Do we look for a certain school that aligns with the values that we want and all that sort of thing. So, um, time will tell on that, but in regular school system, I think a lot of that is, is it's, it's kind of tempered down and that's, um, not what we should be fostering in my belief. Yeah. Yeah. So you played football in college and you also had a, some kind of a business that you were running at the same time. Uh, what was the, what was the business? Yeah, well, I actually uh, so I cut my teeth in direct sales, essentially, and a lot of people may uh, a lot of people probably know this on this call. A lot of people have probably done this, but I was I was fortunate. I uh, had a good group that I worked with, and I actually sold Cutco knives. That's how I paid for college. Oh yeah, I know. I know so, a lot of people. In fact, when we're doing the Praxis program, when we're going through applications, people who have done Cutco, we always get excited about that because there's. The, the, it's, it's like, it's a tough gig. <laughs> it's a tough gig. You got to get used to a lot of no's and have a lot of persistence. Yeah, it, it is. But they have a really great program for how they bring people in and do things right. So they, they know that their products are going to sell. I mean, once you give a lifetime guarantee and all that type of stuff, right. You know that, you know, that's pretty, you got When you got a really good value and a really good offer, that makes it much easier. So it's just getting somebody who's never done it before to follow a system. And if you can follow a system, and learn it, you could accelerate. I was, I was pretty fortunate. I came in, you know, in some ways having that entrepreneurship experience and having that, that kind of different way of thinking. And, um, 
you know, it's funny, my, my good friend, John rule, and he's actually wrote uh, the book called giftology, which is a really great book. If you get a chance to, to read it, uh, about the uh, power of gifting and that's what his business is today. But he is the number one salesman for Cutco knives, millions of millions of dollars of knives sold. And he, his clients are a lot of the major league sports teams and home builders who give out knives, you know, when they sell a home, all kinds of stuff like that. And, um, it, he was the first guy ever to sell $10,000 of knives in his first 10 days as a Cutco sales rep. I was the second. Wow. So we were able to really, you know, I learned a lot from John because he was much further along as I came in and he had built this whole business around it. So I, I kind of followed in his footsteps and, you know, that's an entrepreneurial lesson. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. You can just learn from it. You can stand on the shoulders of giants and then you can make your own wheel spin faster. And I think that's a, an important lesson for a lot of people out there. If you are considering entrepreneurship or you're in your own business or you're starting something, look around you for those that have gone before you and done it. And then copy and innovate. And that's there's no problem with that. Some of the most successful businesses ever created copied and innovate. Waste management's a great example of that. Wayne Hazinga, he's a billionaire, um, basically copied and innovated from what other, you know, management and waste management companies were doing. So um, that's a that's a really important thing to to think about just in anything, really. Um, and so that's how I that's how I paid for college. I built a business around it and treated it like a business and was able to uh, make my own hours. And, you know, it was it was a lot nicer to be able to go out and do an appointment and make a thousand bucks, you know, um, and take care of my bills for the week, you know, in about a, an hour versus some of these other people I knew that were working 20, 30 hours a week in addition to it and stuff, too. So. So and then when you when you completed college you went and launched a, a business, a, a health and fitness related company. Is that right? Yeah. So I stayed in direct sales and I said, Hey, this Cutco thing's really good. You know, I've got this going on. I've got clientele and I'm, I'm making sales and stuff, but you know, it'd be really, really nice to get some leverage. If I made a sale once and continued getting paid on it forever, mm-hmm. that would be awesome. And so, um, that, that's an important moment, little- by the way, as simple as that sounds, that's a really important like those kind of insights, when you've got the entrepreneurial drive early on that you go right to the things with the lower barriers of entry, you know, okay, door-to-door sales or whatever, you know, when you're a kid, it's a lemonade sand or flags. And when you start to have those insights, wait a minute, I could do this over and over and over again, but what if I could move myself further up the production chain? Those are really key, key moments for an entrepreneur. Absolutely. You have these moments throughout your life where you you realize these things. And you know what? The realization itself is the big thing because what you end up going to do, it might not pan out. But the fact that you understand it and everything and have that then to use and other things that you do uh, can make a huge difference. And so I did. I, I, I sought out and found a vitamin and health supplement company in direct sales. The nice thing about vitamins, health supplements, is that people use them every month. So they have to reorder. Right. So I sought out the, the, the best ones that I could find. You know, I even had doctors that uh, I knew my mother was a nurse and stuff, you know, uh, look at the ingredients, their processes and, you know, really give me the, the their thoughts on it and all that stuff. And so um, I there was a group that actually ran things uh, like a business. So everybody's an independent contractor, but there are there are groups, as you know, with direct sales and things like multi-level marketing. There are downlines and all that stuff. So there was a group I found. That was actually uh, very interesting. They did things out of an office, suit and tie every day, you know, that type of stuff. And so I was like, wow, these guys really got it going on. They really have it professional. And so I, I, I 
got in with them and then opened an office in Columbus, Ohio. And, and there was a group that was doing that. So I joined in with that. And that's how I got to Columbus, Ohio. And uh, for the next year, um, failed miserably. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, it's it, you, you have to learn and take your lumps in anything. And so, what, what do you, you know, think, I, what do you think caused that to fail? Um, I, I had to learn how to lead. And even by the end of the year, I, I didn't, I, I, there were two things uh, that I had to learn that took me a long time to learn, um, how to truly lead and empathy. And that really, the second one corresponded to why I had problems with the other so, one. So being, the, um, so being the guy who's doing the sales directly, doing it yourself, working with customers, you kind of mastered that pretty darn well by this point, but mm -hmm. all of a sudden the, the different skill set needed to build a system, to build a company, to lead other people underneath you. That was something that you, you ran into some, a little learning curve with. Great. Yeah, that's exactly right. I was, a, I was great as a one man show, but when I needed to build a team, right? Because the way you grow in direct sales, you can only make so many sales yourself, right? You have to grow a team. And so as I began to grow the team, I treated it like, like they worked for me. That was my, my issue. Hmm. You know, where they're all independent contractors doing their own thing. I tried to to teach the try to try to treat them like they were employees, like they were working for me. And so I was, you know, constantly trying to manage them, quote unquote. And so I didn't have a lot of success building a team. Now, towards the end of my time with the with the group and stuff, I, I figured some of this out. But, you know, I built about a twelve, fourteen hundred dollar residual income. Now that's really nice. A twelve to fourteen hundred dollar a month residual income off of twenty dollar vitamins. Um, and then, you know, little pieces of of things sold through the downline is actually a, a pretty good amount. How many people would like to have an extra twelve or fourteen hundred dollars a month coming in their pocket without doing anything? Um, but I was working, you know, three other jobs to to make all my ends meet. So um so at, at the end uh, of that first year I said, okay, I, I need to learn what I don't know. And I had this idea. And again, this is still, er, you know, young, early 20s, had this idea, maybe a little bit, uh, you know, arrogant at the time that I would build or own a Fortune 500 someday. And so I said, if I'm going to do that, I can take what I've learned here, but I need to go work in one of those companies to be able to learn it and understand it so that I can run it someday. Right. Um, and so that's, that's how I ended up, I ended up going to, um, a company called Paychex Inc., which a lot of people hear about. Mm -hmm. And that's where I really learned to, to lead and build organizations. I had an amazing group of, uh, managers around me and vice presidents around me that understood I was an entrepreneur. And that was, uh, that was, I think the thing when they, when they hired me, I mean, we talked a lot about that in the interviews and stuff like that. And they really understood who I was. They pro they probably knew I wouldn't be there forever. They knew I wasn't a lifer, but they knew that you know I I would do well while I was there. And that's a not that's pretty rare these days, right? You don't find managers and leaders that look at things like that and and say this this guy's probably not going to be here more than four or five years, but while he's here, he's going to do you know it has the potential to do great things. You know, it's and it's really uh, cool that you your story sort of takes this path because I talk to a lot of young people who they want to be entrepreneurs and maybe they've, maybe they've started a, a business of some kind and it hasn't worked out and they haven't, they haven't figured it out yet, but they know they've got that drive. And since they don't, they either don't have a clear idea yet, or they don't have the ability or resources to execute it on an idea yet. They feel like getting a job, going to work for someone else 
is some kind of failure, some kind of a, a admission of defeat. You know, they're an entrepreneur. This is not for them. Um, but the mindset that you took in that you want to build a Fortune 500 company, so you're going to choose to go and see this as a learning experience and to go crush it in that role. Um, I think that's really important. What what were some what were some things that working in that company specific ways in which that helped you when you did go and launch uh, Grasp? Well, I think I think it should note that um, I was deliberate in what I was doing in the sense that I I I went in and wanted an outside sales job, and and I believe in from a corporate standpoint, employee standpoint, the closest thing you can get to being an entrepreneur is to be an outside salesperson. Oh, I love that. I need more more of that. The number of times where I I tell people. Man, sales. Go, go do sales. That's going to be your best leverage to almost anything, especially B two B sales. If you want to be an entrepreneur, because you're going to get to learn about all different kinds of businesses in your work. Yeah, when you get a territory and you're responsible for it, that is essentially your business. Hmm. And so that's the way I came in. That's in my interviews. I talked about that's what we. That's how I looked at it, and they understood that. And so as I I got into my role there, I took a lot of what I had learned in direct sales. Um, and applied that to, you know, this, this territory, if you will. And I was fortunate. I was rookie of the year. My first year I was rep of the year, my second year. And then when you're, you know, when you do well like that, you know, and you're hundreds of percent of quota and all that type of thing, they typically look at you for management. So, you know, they, they started tapping me for things like that. And so, um, I started out with doing some special projects. Um, I created some training for the rookies of the company nationally. And all of this leads to, to answer your question here in a minute. So, um, and then, uh, I took my first, uh, management role. Okay. Taking over a low performing office. And I was still, uh, what I would, what I would call there's different management, uh, hierarchies and types of leaders. And I was what was called a pay setter. Pay setter is somebody that my way is the best way, uh, learn from me and do it my way and you'll be successful. That's what a pay setter type manager does. And usually what happens with pay setters is they blow up an office. And the reason they do is because they come in and they try to get, they try to make clones of themselves, right? So, um, so that's what happened to me. I came in and, uh, you know, basically turned over the whole team, um, almost twice <laughs> in, uh, the course of a year. Hey, our numbers were up though. We were up 20%, but you know, it was not, not the best working environment. That's when I had to take a step back and actually had to learn how to be a leader. That's when I started to really understand what empathy was, to understand uh, personalities of individuals. So anybody who's ever been through like a DISC training and that sort of thing, I really you know took that stuff to heart and really learned that and self-educated on a lot of those type of things. Started reading a lot more leadership, you know, the John Maxwells of the world and others, reading stories of others that had, you know, like Steve Jobs and others that had done the same type of stuff. Steve Jobs would have been a pace setter, you know. And so uh, started to become more self-aware and teach myself and retrain myself and my conditioning on how to be a better leader, more understanding, be able to think better in the moment, be able to recognize emotional responses to things and be able to stop them and be able to react logically and all that stuff. And then take over some more roles and basically became a turnaround artist for paychecks in my final few years there and had a lot of success doing that. So 
That's a lot of things that I learned that I then took into other businesses. So while I was doing all of this, I was still investing and creating other businesses. So I had, I did every, you know, they say, what is it? You, uh, nine out of 10 businesses fail. So all you got to do is start 10 businesses. (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, I, I think at one time I had nine different things going on at once outside of paychecks. Um, everything from real estate to, coffee distribution to all kinds of stuff, most of which failed pretty miserably because I was a jack of all trades and a master of none. I wasn't focused. Um, and I wasn't good at creating good partnerships at the time. Uh, but Grasp, actually, uh, I, I met my business partner in 2004. So um, his name's Eric Mueller. He's one of the uh, the greatest uh, greatest business partners in, in now one of the greatest leaders I think I've, I've ever been around. But um, uh, we met as a chance meeting and uh, kind of hit it off. And he, he, he invited me to, to dinner a week later and basically said, hey, I got this company. Um, and uh, he had two companies at the time. And, and he, he's like, I got this company, Grass Technologies. And it's really uh, a bunch of intellectual property from a lot of work I've done over the years. I got a lot of experience in uh, you know, data and, and intelligence in the travel space. Um, and I, 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 I want to be able to put a business around it. Um, I'm just, I'm a programmer who has a business. I'm not a, I'm not a, a CEO who chooses to program at this point. He's like, I need your help to kind of do that. And I'm like, well, I don't know if I can do that. I could certainly help you build a business around it. Certainly help you learn to sell and, and that sort of thing, but we'll do it together and see what happens. And so that's how we got, uh, connected. I, I kind of started working with him on that. I, I liked what I saw invested in the business. I got a few others and, um, you know, here we are, whatever it is, 13, 14 years later. And, uh, you know, just through sheer will and, and guts and hustle and, and everything, find a way, make a way, you know, grasp has become, you know, this, this business, you know, that, that we, we work with clients in over a hundred countries and Inc. 5,000 company and, and everything else. So, uh, as Eric likes to say, a 20-year overnight success, basically, is what we are. So, so what's really interesting about this story as well, and again, this is something I think is really important when you're young to sort of relieve the stress of, I need to pick an industry or a certain type of of product or company. I mean, you started selling CutGo, then you were selling supplements and vitamins, then you went into paychecks, which is, you know, pay, pay payment processing for small, medium-sized businesses doing sales and management there. And, you know, you've got real estate, you've got coffee business, all these things you're experimenting with. And Grasp is basically a a software tool, if I understand this correctly, for businesses to sort of manage and track data on travel and travel expenses and things like that, or something like that. Is that a fair description? (laughs) That's yeah, that's part of what we do. Okay. Yes. So there's a lot of other offshoots, but I think you know that's that's a pretty. But it's good in software, and I mean, you you wouldn't yep. you wouldn't be able to know, you know, if you were to say, oh, I don't know, I don't know if I want to, I really, you know, I don't know if I want to sell knives or vitamins or go to paychecks because that's not the industry that I want to go in. Like you, you don't know where you're going to be. You have no idea where it's going to go if you just kind of keep following your strengths and you keep putting in the work. Um, and selling, I mean, the, developing the ability to be a great salesman is probably what carried you to all those things. So, so at what point did you know, what was the decision to leave this really nice, um, corporate job where you're doing really well, you're crushing it. They're happy with you. Was it a tough decision to leave and go full-time into grasp or was it just a no brainer? Um, 
No, it was. I would say it was. It, it was tough, but it was a no brainer at the same time. I, like I said, I think you know my leadership always knew that's where I would go. And to take a step back for a second before I I finish, you know, kind of that answer on that and tell you what happened with that. If you look back at my career, quote unquote, if you will. If you look through it, and I've done this too, and this is one of the reasons I have a, a you know a philosophy of no regrets, is everything I did allowed me to be the person I needed to be to help grasp do what it's done. So learning about residual income and the importance of that. Software. When I met Eric, it was box products. It was just buy at one time. The first thing we did, hey, let's make let's make sure that these are licensed and you know residual, right? I, I, that, you know, that right there was something that if I hadn't had that experience, it, it might've something we've been got to gotten to, but it wouldn't have been something that right off the bat we did that made a, a huge difference. Right. And started growing revenues really quickly. Um, and so you look at that, you look at going into paychecks going through the, you know, the, the trials and tribulations of, of learning to be a leader and everything was really important in helping to build grass because it was just Eric and I, and then we had to put a team around it. And my role was basically every waking hour outside of paycheck. So I had to develop relationships with people basically via phone and help lead them via phone, rarely ever seeing them, you know? So I had to learn to do that, right? So you, you can kind of see how these things kind of weave. And then obviously learning to sell helped with when I, you know, needed to help sell or help Eric sell things, I was able to give him the right type of advice in the moment and stuff until, you know, he's, you know, just, he's a great salesman nowadays, but you know, that, that, that all, it all came together for that. So, you know, nothing, I don't think happens by chance. I think everything happens the way that it's supposed to, even the bad things, um, you know, a grain of, a grain of sand had to hit the right way in the universe for us to be talking today, you know, millions of years ago, you know? So that's why, you know, I've got a philosophy of, of no regrets because I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing. I'm lucky to even be alive today. You know, if you put it in context of what it takes to even get here in the universe. So, um, so with that being said, I, one of the things I did strategically for a while was let grass grow. I didn't want to, uh, you know, I had a very good uh, compensation package at paychecks and I was you know, I was doing well for the company. We were, you know, it was a win win. You know, I was doing very well. I was being paid very well. The company was doing very well. And, and you know, uh, my responsibilities and everything. And so we I let it essentially grow and marinate without me as much as possible until it reached a, a point where it had gotten, you know, big enough that it needed me full time, essentially. And that's when I stepped out and, and I left you know, paychecks on, on good terms. And I left, uh, and I made sure that, you know, I did everything that I said I would do before I left too. That was a very important to me was to leave with integrity and to make sure that, um, you know, everything was in a good spot. Everybody was, you know, where they needed to be. I had fulfilled my duties and my roles and all that stuff. The company had given a lot to me. And so I wanted to make sure I left it with that. So, um, but you know, walking out that day, Leaving hundreds of thousands of dollars of stock on the table was a tough day. <laughs> yeah. um, but what I was after and my dream and my vision had always been freedom of location to live and work. So I was willing to take the pay cut. I was willing to make the sacrifice in short term, you know, a few years to where I knew that I could have that freedom of location to live and work. I was working 14 hour days at Paycheck. Um, I was driving a, uh, about six hours average a day in a car. So, um, once I left that, 
and you know had that vision i knew based upon where i was what it would take to get me you know back to where i was and, and further but have this freedom that i i always had wanted for myself and for my family and everything and so that was the the most compelling driver that you know i had in my mind the whole time too so i didn't regret regret that and i didn't dwell on it for for very long i i moved on very quickly and got got the business so what inspired you so you're obviously a busy guy you're you're building grasp you're running this company i'm sure you you still have other side projects you strike me as the type of guy who's who's probably a little bit addicted to uh pursuing a lot of different things in a good way not as bad as i used to be i've i've segmented it down nowadays but yes there was a time where you know i was uh you know uh, <laughs> never met an idea Jumping. that wasn't worth trying. You know? You're right. And, and had to go through that learning phase too. So, but, so yes. what made you decide that you wanted to get this podcast going, the misfit entrepreneur? And it's kind of a, it's, it's more than a podcast. I mean, there's kind of a, it's kind of a brand. You got a lot of content, um, on your website, a lot of great stuff and kind of building a, you know, here, here's a bunch of ideas, stories, inspiration, sort of educational resources for people. What made you want to do that? Well, I'd always wanted to find a way to be able to share a lot of the knowledge and and things that I had learned over the years. When I was younger, and those actually those early days of, of paychecks and stuff, because I had success, um, I had a lot of freedom. So I spent a lot of time, and I'd go on weekends and everything else, and go spend time with people like the Brian Tracy's of the world who actually, you know, wrote the cover blurb for my book, which was a bestseller, uh, the Tony Robbins, the Zig Ziglar's rest his soul. And, and a lot of others I got to study with personally, right. And learn some of their best stuff. And so I, I, um, I had all this, this knowledge, this information, I employed it in, you know, different endeavors that I did and all that. But, um, I'd always had this idea that I, at some point I wanted to find a way to, to be able to give this knowledge back from those that I had learned from things that I had learned. And then those that, you know, I would meet in the future. Um, and it was always kind of in the back of the mind, my mind, but where it really came into focus and really became uh, a mission was when we brought my daughter, Hannah home back to the United States. Here I am. I'm a dad now. I've got this 18 month year old kid and every moment I find I'm, I'm teaching, you know, as we talked about before, I'm, I'm teaching her how to be who she is and conditioning her, if you will, um, if you understand subconscious and all that. And so I found myself in instances as they came up thinking of things and, and having things bubble up that I had learned before that I forgot about. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I forgot about that. And it's like the perfect thing to teach her. And so it, it got me thinking, gosh, how much of this stuff have I forgotten over the years? And I, I thought for, I said, there's gotta be a way to immortalize this for, for Hannah to have when she's older so that she can, you know, have the best information possible to help her in life from her daddy and his misfit friends. And that's how it all kind of started. And then as I thought about it, every, every entrepreneur is a misfit. We're all we're all a misfit in some shape or form. That's that's what makes us entrepreneurs and who we are. Um, and but we all do. I mean, we all do the, a lot of the same things, right? We all work hard. We all bust through barriers. We hustle. We do what needs to be done and everything else. So a lot of people know that stuff. They understand that. But a lot of entrepreneurs that I've met over the years, I've always seen that they had some sort of X factor. They've always had some sort of unique habit or routine or thing that they figured out or success trait or or something that they have found that's really set them apart. And it doesn't have to be a huge thing. Um, you know, Olympic races are one and a hundredth of a second. 
So you think about an Olympic racer, it's it's the steps, it's it's how you come out of the start, it's every little thing they work on because that one one hundredth can come in that. And I see that with entrepreneurs too. So I, I said those are the things that I want to I want to get for Hannah. Those are the things that I, I want her to be able to see because she's probably got tons of them within her. And so that's how it all started. And I started looking at how I would do it and thought about, do I do a video blog or do I do, you know, just a blog? And a lot of those are one dimensional. And so I settled on podcasts because you can take it with you anywhere. Uh, you can take it in the car, you can take it in the gym, you know, you can't, can't watch a YouTube video in the car. So, uh, that's what really, you know, made me settle on the medium and I do nothing about podcasting. You know, I listened to them and, and loved them, but I, I knew nothing about getting a podcast off the ground. And so like anything, I just started, started working on it, you know, and bought a couple books on podcasting and stuff and just started putting it together and figure it out. And, and it kind of went from there. And, you know, here we are, it's just been over a, a year. September 1st was, uh, uh, 2017 was our, our first full year. And, you know, the thing is just grown tremendously. We're in 60 some countries and, and everything else. I, I, I just am so, uh, you know, honored and, and humbled by the fact that, you know, people want to listen to this stuff. But um, we've had some amazing people that have been willing to come on the show. And um, I've, you know, been able to put together a lot of great stuff for for Hannah. Hopefully that she'll she'll learn from and others will learn from as, as they grow yeah, older. I, I really do like the show. I definitely recommend uh, recommend checking it out. A good probably my favorite episode so far is the uh, that I've listened to is um, with uh, Louis Bruno. Uh, entrepreneur down in, in Florida. Um, just something about that episode really hit me. It was uh, just really inspiring, really good stuff. Now, one, one of the things, he, oh, go ahead. he's an amazing entrepreneur. No, he's an amazing entrepreneur from, you know, within, you know, to go from zero to within three, four years, a $25 million company. And he's a, he's your, I mean, he's New Yorker, you know, just straight up, no BS type guy. And so, yeah, it was kind of a fun interview to do with him. I did, I did do a lot of editing on that interview um, for language, but, <laughs> uh, but it turned out really well, it's, good. It's cool because he's, you know, not only did he have a, a really rough and challenging background, um, so he didn't, he didn't sort of grow up with any particular privileges or advantages that you would expect, but also he's in an industry. He does, you know, HVAC, he's in a service industry in an old fashioned, you know, doing air conditioning and, and heating and things like that for homes. It's not like sexy software startup, but he has absolutely built something amazing. Um, and I think that's just really important to sort of separate from, there's a lot of great content out there and a lot of cheesy content out there about, you know, um, you know, web-based e-commerce and all the things you got to do and go to an accelerator and do the whatever, you know, um, <laughs> frozen nitrogen showers or whatever, whatever kind of stuff to be a cool modern entrepreneur. But at the end of the day, you can build something amazing in almost any industry and almost regardless of where you come from, if you find a way to tap into that sort of unique mix that you have, which which brings me to what I love about your podcast. You have this thing you do on every episode where you ask every guest to give you their misfit three. Explain what the misfit three is. Sure. So throughout the show, our, our episode is about 45 minutes on average or so. But during the show, we're, we're talking about a lot of things just like we are today. But at the same time, you know, we're getting kind of that X factor and stuff out of them and, you know, looking for that, you know, that aha thing for the audience to hear. But the one thing I ask every guest to do at the end is, you know, we, we talk for 45 minutes. There's a lot somebody can take. What I want um, the guest to do is to be able to 
give the mo- three most important things that they want the audience to be able to take and put into effect in their lives to help their businesses, really all areas, um, that really if they were going to leave this world tomorrow, that's what they would leave behind. And, you know, to me, it's kind of like wrapping it up in a bow at the end. Some of the stuff is what they've talked about in the podcast. Sometimes it's not, which is really neat. Um, and so that's uh, in fact, uh, you're on the show and your episodes dropping here, uh, you know, really soon. And uh, one of the things I loved hearing about about you, I actually titled your episode with it is don't do stuff you hate. I think that's just a great, that's one of the misfit three. I think it's just a great message. And there's a difference between hate and hard. So, you know, kudos to you on that philosophy and stuff. I thought that was tremendous. And so you just never know what you're going to find there. And it's one of the things that the, uh, the audience really loves because, you know, they know they can count on at the end of every episode three things they can walk away with that they can take, they can put into action in their lives right now and make a difference for themselves. And that's, you know, that's the key, right? And the key for the audience is taking action, right? Nothing happens unless you take action. And so we try to give them those things that they can they can really take now and, and go up and, and make a difference. Okay, with. so you know what's going to happen next, right? I'm, I'm going to turn the tables on you and I want you to give me your misfit three. My misfit three. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to get my misfit three because I actually have a very, a lot longer misfit three than most. And so let me pull this out for you and give you what my misfit three are because they're very important to me. So I, I, I have them here. And, and like I said, they're a little bit more lengthy. The, the concepts of the beginning, I could just state, but I, 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 I want to give you a little bit of explanation because I, I really think yeah, go for it. out of all the things that I've heard, out of all the things that I've learned, these are the three most important things that you and the audience can take away and really, really make a difference in your life. And all of them are work. They're not just like a one and done thing. It's a lifelong thing, right? But The first thing is to unleash the power of your mind by understanding your conditioning and where the way you think originates. What I mean by that is to ask yourself if you truly believe that the things you say and have been taught, right? Do you really believe in those? I think if you you take a step back and ask yourself, you'll find a lot of things that you just say and do and stuff were actually not taught by you. Okay, they were actually learned over time from conditioning from all the sources in your life. Media, culture, religion, friends, parents, school, all that type of stuff. And so from there, what you have to do is ask yourself what you truly believe. And then you can decide whether you're going to keep these beliefs or create new ways of thinking for your life. And so I want you to always remember this. Your beliefs lead to your thoughts. Your thoughts lead to your emotions and your feelings. Your emotions and feelings lead to your actions, and your actions ultimately lead to your results. If I take out everything in the middle, it starts with your thoughts, and it ends with your results. It's really, really important. And the second one, my second one, I missed it, three, is to really choose to be deliberate about your success. Take control of all the areas of your life. There's really no excuse not to, and there's no such thing as a successful victim. <laughs> That's really good. And for, you know, for me, I think really in today's age, people get in the trap of believing they're a victim of circumstance when they're not. And if you go to my first point, they're ultimately in control of the way they respond to their circumstances. You have, you, if you believe something, then it becomes reality. So if you believe 
you are this because of X, well, that's what you're going to be. If you want to change that, you can easily change that by changing your beliefs. And so you are ultimately in control of, you know, the way you respond to your circumstances. So choose to own your life and control all areas of it. Take control of your time by planning and scheduling for your days, weeks, months for what you want. Know exactly what you have to do to accomplish, you know, uh, what you want and get it step by step. I think that's something that people don't take a, a step back just to write down what they want and write down a few steps they need to do to get it. Do it. Um, so this this helps you take control of really all aspects of your life, your wealth as well. So um same with health, right? In the same way. So take control and responsibility for your relationships. Do what you know you need to do to make them the best they can be. Be deliberate and be purposeful about your life. And only then really can you be proactive and not reactive to it, right? I think that's one of the problems with, with people is that 99% of the time we react out of emotion instead of logic. And that's, that's a hard lesson I had to learn. That's what helped to make me a better leader is I learned to separate emotion from logic and not react but to, in that split second, stop myself and stop my reaction and be able to then think logically of how I want to handle something and do something. It's hard to learn to do, but you can learn it. And it is a lifelong journey. I'm not perfect. I still react. Ask my wife. Um, but, you know, I'm a lot better than I used to be. Um, and then the last one, none of what I just said matters without the will to act. It's always 5% idea and 95% action or execution. You can say to yourself, you know, over and over again, what you need to do, you can even plan for it. But if you don't take that step, you know, that's sometimes very scary and extremely uncomfortable step, then it does you no good. It's easy to get comfortable and fall into the inertia trap, and it's even easier to stay there. So very rarely do great things ever come from comfort zones. You have to resolve and commit to taking action towards what you want. And you have to keep taking action through all the roadblocks and barriers and obstacles that really come up along the way. It is a choice, right? Just like we've been talking about and one that you can re recondition your beliefs around. So wherever it is that you know you need to go and that you know you need to do, take action in some way on it now. Don't delay anymore. That's the biggest thing that I can tell you. And, and don't worry if you don't truly know how you're going to get there or how you're going to get it. Because truth is, big aha, truth is no one ever really does. <laughs> Okay. Um, but each action, you know, really does get you closer and, and you'll figure it out along the way. Like, you know, so many others have before you. So those are my misfit three. Sorry, they're a little bit lengthy, but, uh, that's, um, I put a lot of thought into those that's over the years. Clear. That's really, really phenomenal stuff. That's, that is absolutely one of those. If I had nothing else, you know, to leave behind, uh, what would be the main concepts you cover so much with those, um, I can, I, I can tell you had some thought put in those. That's great stuff. Dave, where is the best place for people to go find more about you, about the Misfit Entrepreneur? You can go to www.misfitentrepreneur.com and pretty much find, uh, you know, listen to the podcast on just about every medium, pretty much on social media, just about everywhere as Misfit Entrepreneur or my name, Dave Lucas from LinkedIn to Twitter, to Instagram, to Facebook and everywhere else. And so, you know, it'd be great. I'd love to have you join up. In fact, we've got a free um, resource on the website. It's called the Misfit Minutes, our weekly newsletter. So if you hit the website, you want to sign up for that, it'd be awesome. And then just uh, generally for any feedback or anything, you can always email us to the website and stuff like that. If there's anything we can help you with, we'd love to. So, um, Hopefully see you, see you in the show. Yeah, absolutely. Go check out the misfitentrepreneur.com. Subscribe to the podcast. Check out a few episodes in the very least. And I think you will really enjoy what you have, uh, what, what Dave is putting out there. So Dave, thank you so much for joining us again, man. Have a great day. 
Hey, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. And thanks to all of you in the audience. Hey, I want to tell you about two other podcasts real quick. The first is called Forward Tilt. Check it out. Five to 10 minute episodes about specific ideas to improve your personal and professional life. Basic thoughts, uh, concepts, just a single one in each episode boiled down real quick. If you like that five to 10 minute format, check it out wherever it is that you subscribe and listen to podcasts called Forward Tilt. Pretty good if I do say so myself. The second one is called Office Hours. It's TK Coleman, frequent guest of this podcast, and myself. And we spend about 30 minutes every week answering specific questions from specific people. Could be you if you send us a question about success in the workplace. Primarily primarily professional success for people sort of early in their careers, but it actually covers a pretty broad range. Anything from how to ask for a raise, how to impress somebody, how to know what kind of work to do, how to what to what to do when someone won't respond to your emails, anything like that. It's full of wit and wisdom that is characteristic of conversations with TK. Check out Office Hours and Forward Tilt if you like the kind of stuff on this show. Thanks for listening.